Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, the YouTube channel of Wendell's World of Sports. Just want to quickly uh, talk about the loss of the great John Thompson, the coach of the legendary coach of the Georgetown Hoyas, wanted to do it sometime yesterday when he died a couple of days shy of his 79th birthday. But um, life got in the way, so this is the earliest I could go ahead and Record my thoughts, my feelings about uh, Coach Thompson, the legendary Coach Thompson, did so much for the community, did so much for college basketball, did so much for this nation moving forward. Um, I always say when I'm doing my podcast, in fact, my podcast, Wendell's World of Sports, which you can listen to on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can listen to mine. Be grateful if you did. But every time I start a podcast, I always like to say what's happening in Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's doing great. I hope everybody is having the conversations that we need during this time to move this society forward in a positive, harmonious, and unified direction. And I always start by saying, you know, bonjour, bonsoir. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Konnichiwa, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom. My brothers and sisters, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos. Mi amo, and Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. I always say those things because it's my way to promote unity, to promote harmony amongst everybody all over the world who uh, is listening to my podcast, who's listening to what I say when I talk about what's going down in the world of sports and also the world around the sports world that affects the way sports are played. I like to talk about that. So um, this is just my way of moving it forward. And one of the reasons why I want to go ahead and try to do that is because of Coach Thompson. And the reason why, because, you know, we all have our unique, own distinct way of trying to do something to move the society forward. If we're sincere in terms of trying to make this place a better place, not for my generation, not for the generation uh, before me, maybe for the most part, not even a generation after me. We're speaking about 50, 60, 70, 80 years down the road. The fact that what we're doing now in a small way, in a, some people might say insignificant way, what we're doing right now is not to go ahead and make sure that I have the freedom and equalities and opportunities that I believe that I should have. Being a man who's past living half a century in this country, I understand that even if I live another 50 years, I'm not going to be able to achieve the true equality and the true uh, uh, unity amongst people <clears throat> in this country, in this world today. I understand that we can improve it, we can make it better for me, but uh, the unselfish thing to do is to move the society forward by doing what we're doing now so we can reach the younger, the younger generation, so we can reach those who are 15 years old, who are 12 years old, who are 10 years old, who are eight years old, who are five years old, Right now, <clears throat> building the habits, building the thoughts and feelings about what's right and what's wrong in this country in terms of the way we treat each other, the way that we look at each other, the way that we respect each other's communities, the way that we listen to others who might not look like us, who might, who might be from another side of town, and just because they might not be from a house that's as nice as yours, might not have as many cars as you have. Your parents, their parents might not be as educated in terms of schooling, in terms of university as your parents are, the fact that those people have just as much to offer in the movement of positivity and unity in this country should not 
be ignored in the fact that the reason why we should listen to them when those of a poorer community or those of a different skin tone or those of a different gender or those who speak a different language or those who parents or grandparents weren't born in the same country as uh, you were. That doesn't give them, that doesn't give you the right to ignore what they're talking about. It doesn't give you the right to disrespect when they talk about, when I talk about, when we talk about some of the ills and some of the adversity that we have to face every single day just because of the color of our skin, just because of our background, just because of, you know, our, our gender or our race or our sexual preference. We shouldn't have to be able to continue to continually talk about that. But because of the country that we live in, because of the society that we have today, and because of the selfishness of our society, we continue to have to speak about those things. And speaking from a person of color, I can tell you that it's very exhausting and it's very frustrating, but that cannot stop us from moving forward to see what we can do to improve the society that we live in, not for me, but again, for your children and for their children and so on and so forth. So maybe in 50, 60 years down the road, when we're speaking about 2020 in the history books, the years 2084, that the younger generation, that those who are gonna be 15 and 16 and 20 and 25 and such, of course, but what's a 25 year old doing in school, right? Basically what I'm saying is in the year 2084, I want the people who are running this country now, I want the people who are in charge of this country now, even though I won't be around, to sit there and say, remember back in 2020 when you had this third civil rights movement or when you had the third revolutionary reconstruction of this country and people were fighting for the rights to be equal and fighting for the rights of, uh, of all different things. And people will look at that and say, yeah, that was something that was worthwhile. That was something that was necessary. That was something that needed to be done. Just like if we look back now, 50 years later of the civil rights movement, Nobody's speaking ill of Martin Luther King Jr. or those who have a, you know, those who don't have a racist bone in their body or have a brain in their head. Most people aren't talking about the civil rights movement in a ill light or in a negative light. We now, in the history books, show that that was a movement that needed to be made. Just like many of the movements that Black folks made throughout this country, from slavery, from Jim Crow, all the way up to where we are now. Those movements led by Malcolm X and Medgar Evers and Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement and those marchers and those protesters. And we're speaking about such luminary, great, fantastic um, folks of the athletic field who moved the society forward, such as a Jack Johnson, such as a Joe Lewis, such as a Jesse Owens, such as a Martin Luther, excuse me, such as a Arthur Ashe, such as a Paul Robeson, such as a Fritz Pollard or a Jackie Robinson or a Muhammad Ali or a Bill Russell or a Jim Brown, or Althea Gibson, or a Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, or a Craig Hodges, or now a Colin Kaepernick, all of these folks who are moving this forward. Don't you realize, people don't realize that in about, say, 30, 40 years from now, that Colin Kaepernick is going to be talked about in the same breath as John, uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith. He's going to be talked about in the same context as Muhammad Ali. He's going to be talked about in the same context as Jim Brown. He's going to be talked about in the same context as the Bill Russell. And if you remember back in the day, and if you're too young, let me refer, let me uh, educate you. Back in the day, people like Muhammad Ali for a while were hated when he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali and refused to be going to the uh, draft, to be uh, drafted into the army because after all, no Viet Cong had ever called me a nigger. Uh, Jim Brown was a guy who was misunderstood. The folks... <clears throat> of history, for the most part, especially after you get past the good Negroes of uh, Jesse Owens or uh, Joe Lewis type, when you're speaking about the revolutionary period of the civil rights movement, and you're speaking about those like a Jim Brown, 
who was unapologetic in his blackness and his toughness and his strength and his intelligence. Someone like a Muhammad Ali who wouldn't back down. Someone like a Bill Russell who was strong and didn't back down. Those people were not beloved during their time. And it all brings back to this band right here. Love reading this book, by the way. Highly recommended. Read it years and years and years ago. Linda Shapiro. Awesome book about John Thompson. But, uh, you know, John Thompson was a guy back when he was doing his day, back when he was fighting for the rights of those in our community, fighting for the rights of those in our community through the uh, avenue of coaching basketball, college basketball. John Thompson wasn't beloved. The way that we're illuminating and talking about how great John Thompson was and how of a, you know, a pioneer that he was and all these type of things. The college coaches, those in his profession, the legendary coaches, those like a Krzyzewski and a Bobby Knight and a Jim Beheim and those guys, they appreciated, they understood what John Thompson was doing. They understood what he was fighting for, but the society at large, they weren't in love with John Thompson. If you take a look now, <clears throat> if you rewind John Thompson during his most, his most impactful days as a basketball coach with the Georgetown Universities, Georgetown University, when you're speaking about the years 1982, 83, 84, 89, 91, you know, when he was in his coaching heyday, the love and respect and the admiration that people outside of the basketball community are having for John Thompson, they weren't giving him that love back in the day. They weren't up there praising all of these things that he was doing back in the day. You don't think that John Thompson got a whole lot of criticism when he boycotted a game against Boston College in 19, oh my goodness, I forgot, 19, uh, it was against Proposition 48, where he walked off the court. He wasn't beloved. There was nobody there as far as, you know, he had his fan base, he had those who supported him. But if you took a poll at that time, the majority of Americans right now who are praising John Thompson for the man that he was and for the stances that he took, nobody was singing those praises. Those same people weren't singing those praises back in the day. John Thompson, as the coach of the Georgetown Hoyas, especially when Georgetown was rocking and rolling and growing up in the Washington, D.C. area, I know about the Georgetown Hoyas. It's the reason why I became a basketball fan. It's one of the reasons why I became a sports fan. It's the reason why that still, to this day, until the day that I die, I will always be a diehard, no doubt about it, basketball, Georgetown basketball fan. Live and die with my basketball uh, Georgetown Hoyas. Love them, love them, love them, always love them. I mean, as far as, I don't know, too many other things I love more than the Georgetown Hoyas. Shit, I love the Georgetown Hoyas most of the time, even more than I love myself. And it's all because of John Thompson and what John Thompson stood for and the players that he recruited and the way that he played and the demeanor that he had and how unapology, how unapology black that he was. The fact that he was able to do these things despite the criticism, despite everything, despite the negativity that uh, he received. He was strong enough. He was black enough. He was confident enough. He was... Um, you know, morally strong enough to face these things, knowing that what he was doing was right. And even if people didn't understand, he was going to continue to do what he felt was right. Right for his program, right for himself, right for his players. And in turn, doing those things would help society in the long term and in the short and long term. So <clears throat> Georgetown had legendary basketball coach John Thompson. I mean, that's you know, growing up, man, being a basketball fan, I wanted to play for Georgetown. Growing up, I wanted to play for Georgetown more than I wanted to play for the Lakers. I mean, growing up, my 
two loves of my life in terms of sports were concerned, even more than the Washington football team were the Los Angeles Lakers with Magic and Kareem and Norm Nixon and Byron Scott and James Worthy and Kurt Rambis and Michael Cooper and those guys, you know, lived and died with my LA Lakers. But I didn't become a basketball fan. I didn't, my love of basketball didn't take root with the Los Angeles Lakers, with the Showtime Lakers, with the Paul Westhead, Pat Riley, Los Angeles Lakers. My love for basketball, and which in turn <clears throat> grew to my love of sports, started with the Georgetown Hoyas, started with uh, John Thompson. That was my guy. My goal, my dream in life, <clears throat> up till I was about 17, 18 years old, when it finally clicked in that I just wasn't good enough to play for John Thompson, my goal and dream of life in life was to play for John Thompson and the Georgetown Hoyas. That was it for me. I mean, you could have told me that I could play for them four years and then in my life at 22, I would have been like, fine, man, I'll take it. I will take it. I will go to the crossroads down in Mississippi and find out where Robert Johnson gave his soul to the devil. And I'll do the same thing just, for, just so I could have played four years for uh, John Thompson. That's how much, uh, you know, for me, he meant. And he meant that way for a lot of kids. He meant that way for a lot of folks growing up, both black and white back in the day. Georgetown was the shit, man. Georgetown was the motherfucking shit back in the day. And I love the fact that when we're speaking about Georgetown because of the passing of the legendary coach John Thompson, I love the fact that uh, people are always saying, man, I thought, you know, for those who are not in the D.C. area, they were speaking about, man, when I heard about Georgetown, when I saw Georgetown, man, I thought that was the HBCU school, man, because the way Georgetown was represented it, and it couldn't be farther from the truth then and now. And the fact that John Thompson came to this school, uh, a lily white uh, Georgetown University, which academically is like, well, maybe what, a little bit below the Ivy League schools and, you know, that, that type of prestige that it had. And he was willing to bring in kids from, or basketball players, great basketball players from predominantly black areas in the inner cities of Washington, D.C. I mean, that was a culture shock. That was a huge culture shock, not, for the, not only for the black players who walked on that campus, but also for those white folks on that campus who saw these six, eight, six, nine, six, four, six, five guys from Southeast D.C. and Northeast D.C. walking around the campus. Um, but, uh, you know, John Thompson was like, fuck it, man, you're going to graduate. You are going to educate yourselves. You walked into that office of his, and he had that deflated basketball, and the symbol of that deflated basketball was, what are you going to do with your life after the game of basketball is over? you got to remember, this is, before, um, this is before the evolution of players using basketball to, quote, unquote, promote a brand. This is a situation where, you know, players weren't getting $25, $30 million a year. People in the basketball players weren't signing huge uh, contracts with Nike and those guys. They weren't signing uh, huge deals to promote, uh, you know, different types of brands and everything like that. So, you know, back in the day before people of today, you know, they leave early for the NBA after one year if you're really good enough. That wasn't happening back in the day, back when Georgetown was doing this thing. And I think the fact that during that day in our community, the black community, that those who were good enough to play basketball, especially from the inner city, I think the, the importance of a college education back in those days was much, 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 much more important than it is today if you're an athlete with any type of possibilities of playing professional. You know, back in the day, John Thompson could walk into a parent's home 
in the inner cities, no matter where he was, and talk about how he's going to take care of his son and how he's going to get him an education, how important a uh, degree from Georgetown University was, and how he's going to help him grow him from becoming a boy to becoming a man. And, you know, that was a great selling point. And, you know, back in the day when the majority of college basketball coaches were white, and if you were from the inner city and you're coming from an environment in which in a society which you really didn't trust a lot of white folks, especially when these college coaches came walking around, these white college coaches who came walking around and was talking about, yeah, you come to my 30,000, uh, my 30,000 attended uh, university where the percentage of black folks on campus is about 2% and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to be there for you. You know, you would look a little skeptical at that person. About, really? Are you really going to be able to do that? Of course, there were coaches who were sincere about that, Dean Smith being at the top of the list. But for the most part, John Thompson had the advantage of going into those same people's home and say, look, I come from the same background as you. I come from the same experiences as you. I face the same racism as you. Being a black man, I understand what it is to be black. And working at a predominantly white school like Georgetown University, if your son decides to go there, but I understand some of the trials and tribulations and obstacles that he's going to be facing because of a big black man walking on a campus. But you can believe you me that I'm going to be able to take care of your son. I'm going to be able to make sure that your son graduates. I'm going to be able to take care of your son. I'm going to be able to protect your son. I'm not going to exploit your son. I'm not going to do any of those things. So by the time that he leaves Georgetown University, not only is he going to be a hell of a basketball player, he's going to have a lot of success because I'm a hell of a basketball coach, but I'm also a guy who's sincerely going to be able to get your son a degree. And when you speak about the 77 players that stayed four years at Georgetown, and 75 of them received college degrees, well, the proof is in the pudding. So that was, and by the way, I'm wearing this because, you know, John Thompson, ah, you know, he used to wear the towel. So, you know, that's kind of my thing with him in terms of my remembrance of him. So that was Georgetown. That was just what uh, John Thompson was all about. I remember playing in the Sidwell Friends Summer League when I was a going into my junior year at Good Council high school and good counsel was in the same league as the math we were in the WCAC. And that's one of the top high school basketball conferences in the country back in the day when you had the math and you had Carroll and you had Bishop O'Connell and you had St. John's and you had such a legendary coaches as Joe Gallagher at St. John's and Morgan Wooten over at the math and you had, you know, uh, Bishop Ireton. I mean, it was just an awesome league that we played in. And I remember playing in the Civil Friends Summer League, which had, you know, teams like Flint Hill, and I had the opportunity to play against guys like Dennis Scott, who in high school, as a sophomore in high school, was 6'6", 225 pounds, not too much difference than he was when he played in the NBA. I had the opportunity to play with Sam Jefferson and went to Georgetown. I had the opportunity to play with Aaron Bain, or I had an opportunity to play against Aaron Bain, a guy who uh, went on to play for Villanova. He was a five-star recruit back in the day. I mean, the league was just stacked. And they used to play down over at Sidwell Friends over on the northwest side of Washington, D.C. So here I am, a 16-year-old kid playing against these, uh, these uh, badass motherfucking basketball players. And it's in the summer, and I'm at the foul line waiting for you know, free throw to be shot. And guess who walks in the uh, door? Big John Thompson. That's the first time I've ever seen uh, John Thompson in person. And man, was he big. I mean, you're talking about someone who, you know, enveloped the entire door. And I was just sitting there kind of staring at him. First of all, I was like, that's John Thompson. And the second thing I was sitting there thinking about, that's a big motherfucker. I mean, that guy was big. 
So when you're speaking about, or when reporters and other people talking about John Thompson was an intimidating, that was a big, black, intimidating guy. And if you weren't used to seeing big, black, intimidating guys, he was intimidating, especially when he furrowed his brown. He spoke with some conviction, and he spoke with a tone that wasn't complimentary or wasn't uh, happy, happy, joy, joy. Yeah, I could see where, uh, you know, lesser men might sit back and go, I ain't asking them no more questions. Fuck that shit. You the man, coach. You do what you need to do. So, uh, yeah, John Thompson left revolutionary. And um, I guess from the first part of me speaking about Coach Thompson was the fact when I was speaking about how we're trying to move the society forward in what ways and what avenues and what we can do to learn from Coach Thompson about moving this society forward. It's just another example of, you know what, there's more than one way to uh, be a contributor, a positive contributor, a helpful contributor in the quest for equality, for some type of equality, before we all have to meet our maker or whatever, whatever you believe. And uh, some people march, some people, you know, some people do a lot of things. There's many different ways. Hopefully what uh, John Thompson did, hopefully the legacy of John Thompson and his reach and his influence and his importance on college basketball in terms of the coaches, the black coaches that you see today. You know, I'd be remiss if I also didn't include, along with Coach Thompson, John Chaney of Temple University and Nolan Richardson, along with Arkansas. That was kind of the class George Raveling was also, you can throw in there also. I mean, those were the guys that really, you know, laid the foundation for the coaches, the black coaches that you see today. And so many black coaches all throughout uh, the country. I don't care if it's the SEC, which has big problems in hiring black football coaches. And we can talk about, you know, the uh, lack of head football coaches in college football at another time. But, um, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter the region. It doesn't matter the state. It doesn't matter the political affiliation within that community, you know, the opportunity for a black man to be a college basketball coach is much greater because of the sacrifices and the demands of people like Coach Thompson and Coach Richardson and Coach Cheney and Coach Raveling and shit and those people. And those guys were the, um, those guys took the torch from such uh, great basketball, black basketball coaches, Clarence Big House Gaines and John McClellan and such. So the list and the chain of command goes on and on and on and on. So at, uh, today, I'm just here to once again give my thoughts and feelings about a guy who, you know, he wasn't my father, of course, but just a guy who I admired. And uh, I'm going to start including uh, people like him when I speak about, you know, the great uh, folks, the great Black Americans who have changed the way that we uh, look at society, changed the way that we uh, talk to each other, change the way that we interact with each other, pushing toward segregation, excuse me, pushing toward integration, not segregation. And when I speak about folks from all different walks of life, because, you know, lawmakers and those who make the rules and those who make the laws, those are great and everything, but you have to have the mindset of people to go ahead and agree to have those laws change and agree to have people work together and become one in terms of unity harmony and love in this country. So yeah, I could talk about Thurgood Marshall, I can talk about presidents, I can talk about laws being um, uh, impl implemented and all those type of things, implemented, excuse me, I could talk about all those things. But if it wasn't for those who have inspired the younger generation all throughout history, not just in sports, but in music and other things, we wouldn't be 
in the situation that we are in today, no matter how far we need to go, we wouldn't be even close to where we are today if it wasn't for great people like, uh, you know, great artists who you might not think, who you might not listen, who you might not read about in the history books, who might not be discussed when you were speaking about U.S. history and government and all those things when you were in school. You know, the importance of a Ray Charles, the importance of a Sam Cooke, the importance of a Nat Cole, the importance of an Otis Redding, the importance of a Levi Stubbs, the importance of Motown, the importance of Stax, the importance of a Sidney Poitier, the importance of all of these type of folks who came through, the importance of a Richard Pryor, the importance of those type of people who you might not think would have the impact that they had on moving society because you don't hear about them in the history books. You don't read about them in the history books. You don't, um, you don't talk about them in your history classes at school, but these people are just as important as any law has ever made. As any person that we speak about today, Malcolm, Medgar, Martin, John Lewis, all of these guys, they couldn't have got to where they were. They couldn't have had the impact that they had if it wasn't for all of these others. John Thompson, the head coach of the Georgetown Hoyas, should also be included in that situation. So, all right, man, I'm going to uh, speak about this a little bit more, with a little bit more coherency and a little bit more of a direction. I'm going to sit down, gather my thoughts, decide which way I want to take this. So this is just my way of riffing in terms of speaking about um, my thoughts and feelings about uh, Coach Thompson. There's still the Rayful Edmonds story that I want to get into. I'll discuss that on my podcast. I want to even discuss, you know, people always talk about, you know, the fact that he was the first black coach to win a NCAA men's Division I basketball championship. We speak about, you know, Dikembe Mutombo and Allen Iverson and Alonzo Bordig and Patrick Ewing and those guys and the fact that he put 26 players into the pros and the fact that he won over 550 games. We could talk about all those accolades, but, you know, one thing that I will say that as much love that he had for Patrick Ewing, as much of his success that he has, that uh, Allen Iverson being in the Basketball Hall of Fame, one of the best small men to ever play the game, one of the best defensive players, Dikembe Mutombo during his era, he's in the Hall of Fame. Alonzo Mourning, the greatness that he had, an NBA champion, he's in the Hall of Fame. Patrick Ewing, one of the greatest 50 players in NBA history, he's in the Hall of Fame and now coaching the Georgetown Warriors. It's easy to speak about the influence and the impact that John Thompson had on their lives because we know of these guys. You know, these guys are NBA basketball players. Alonzo Mourning played forever. Allen Iverson played over 10 years. Same with Dikembe. Patrick Ewing played 18 years in the NBA and the accolades and the accomplishments, the awards that all four of those guys had while they were in the NBA, the MVPs, the All-Star Games, the uh, dream team, the defensive player of the year, the Olympic teams, the gold medals, all of those things. Still waiting for that NBA championship. Got to hang it on Jaron Jackson. But um, one of the things that uh, makes a coach, I believe a college coach, a really great coach, is not his relationship that he has with his best players. It's also the relationship that he has with players who didn't make it in the NBA who didn't have an opportunity, who didn't have the skill set to make it in the NBA. What's their relationship now? And I take a look at some of the players that Coach Thompson has coached who didn't make it in the NBA but are doing great things in life right now. If you're speaking about with Michael Jackson, the starting point guard, not the hee-hee, not that Michael Jackson. I'm speaking about um, the Michael Jackson, the starting point guard for his championship team. I'm speaking about Perry McDonald. I'm speaking about Horace Broadnax, who's a coach. I'm speaking about Dwayne Bryant, who's now a coach. I'm speaking about Mark Tillman, 
who was a uh, analyst, a TV analyst, broadcaster. I'm speaking about uh, Billy Martin. I'm speaking about Ralph Dalton. I'm speaking about all these other guys who didn't have the opportunity to play the pros. So Sleepy Floyd right now is a lawyer. Michael Graham is doing some great things in the community, uh, you know, him being a productive citizen. So, I mean, it's more than just a worth of a basketball coach, especially if we're speaking about college. Look, in the NBA, man, it's all about winning basketball games, okay? We don't, have, we don't give a fuck about what kind of people you have. We don't give a fuck about that nonsense. You're not in charge for what they do outside of the basketball court, okay? Along with those guys, it's a job. It's a business. Those guys are grown men. So the actions that they take is purely on themselves. You don't have to worry about that if you're an NBA coach. You just have to worry about winning basketball games and winning NBA championships. That's the main thing that you have to do. In college basketball, you know, you have to also go by this fallacy that they bring to you about, well, you know, it's nice for you to win basketball games, but what we really want you to do is we want you to graduate players. We want you to uh, have your program be a symbol of positivity and goodwill and everything so we can up our enrollments, so we can go ahead and get more people coming to our schools, so we can uh, increase our profile, and we can have the presidents, and we can have the other folks and other employees make more money, that, that type of thing. We need to have a great uh, program so we can go ahead and sometimes um, be the foundation for a whole community economically, if we're speaking about college football. But uh, also one of the things in terms of not just winning and losing if you're college basketball, you also have to be in charge of these 18 to 22-year-old men who are under your supervision. So it's not about just how many points you score, not how many rebounds you get, not how many assists that you get. It's also the fact that, you know, number one, what are we doing to try to keep this guy eligible? Number two, what are we trying to do to make sure this guy doesn't do anything stupid? Because if they do, that's not just a reflection on the student athlete or the person that's on your basketball team. It also speaks to you about a about you as a basketball coach. And if you get too many instances in terms of a failure to uh, have a appropriate GPA or instances outside of the uh, playing field that you're getting in trouble or your people are getting in trouble or they're doing this and they're doing that, then that's going to reflect poorly on you. It doesn't happen that way if you're a basketball coach. Mike Dunleavy never got blamed for the Portland Trail Blazers, the Portland Trail Gangsters, the Portland Thug Blazers back in the day when Rasheed was acting up and Darius Miles was being a fool and J.R. Ryder was being J.R. Ryder. Nobody was sitting there talking about, well, Mike Dunleavy needs to be fired because he doesn't have control of his players outside of the basketball court. No one equated that. So that's the main difference between college basketball and pro basketball. John Thompson not only was great as a college basketball coach in terms of winning games, he also was a guy who, again, had great relationships with a lot of his players who didn't go on to play basketball, who had, who needed him in terms of making that transition from, you know, basically starting life. When you're graduating from college and you get in that real world, time, time to be a man starts now. So Thompson has been a uh, great, great influence on many of those guys. And you know what? Hey, he didn't succeed in everything. You know, Allen Iverson said the coach saved his life. He took a chance on Allen Iverson, his backcourt mate, during that time, Victor Page right now is in prison. You know, Thompson gave him a chance. He played two years, couldn't make it, declared for the NBA draft, got himself into some trouble later on in life, and now he's in prison. You know, that's just the way it goes. So, I mean, you know, not everybody, 
who played with John Thompson is going to speak highly and glowingly of him. But his heart was in the right place. Amen. There was only one person in whoever walked this earth that was perfect. And, you know, folks nailed them to a cross. So, you know, that's, you take the totality of the man and what he did in terms of his influence and impact that he had. Ain't nobody perfect in this world. So uh, that's just what I want to talk about, man. That's what I want to send out to those who are listening to my YouTube channel, Wendell Wallace. Again, my podcast, Wendell's World in Sports. You can check it out on Spotify. You can check it out on Podcast Chaser. You can check it out on iTunes. Leave those five-star reviews. Subscribe, review, do what you need to do. Follow me on Spotify. Working on the website. You know, life is getting in the way. 2020 has been a biatch. But uh, that's what I'm talking about. So I will be speaking to everybody later. Be good. Be strong. Be happy. Treat everybody the way that you want to be treated. Have those difficult conversations if you need be. Listen, learn, learn, listen to those who are trying to educate you to become better people, to help out our community, to help out our society, to help out everybody around you. Wendell Wallace, the podcast is Wendell's World in Sports. Y'all have a good one. Miss you, Sydney. Boy, do I miss you a lot.